Hi, everyone. I am Emily Landers, and this is How'd She Do That? A podcast answering that question each episode. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the podcast. I am so happy that you are tuning in. If this is your first time listening, you are in for a treat. I am so excited to share today's conversation with literary and speaking agent, author extraordinaire, Joy Egrets reed is my guest today, and she is fantastic. I don't say this lightly. When Joy and I got off of the call, I don't know if she felt this way, but I felt as though I had found my long lost best friend. (laughs) And if you follow Joy, and if you know anything about her, um, you likely feel the same way. And that's just the wonderful effect that she has on new friends and old friends alike, I'm sure. Uh, But today's episode, you're really going to hear that in the conversation. Just so much fun to speak with her, to share her story. And again, If this is your first time being introduced to Joy, well, I am just going to go ahead and say you're welcome. You're welcome because this is such a fun episode. You guys, I hope that you all had a wonderful weekend. We are doing well. We were here in Malibu, my husband and I, where we live. I am originally from Texas and have been there quite a bit recently, so it felt great to be home, and we will be here uh, until things kick off this holiday season, which I'm so thrilled to share that we have episodes We have episodes scheduled through the end of the year and actually even into January. So my last recording for season two, which will launch next year, uh, is coming up. We are so ahead of the game. It's really amazing to see our guests line up and to know who is coming on and who we can all be looking forward to. I'm trying to figure out the best way of doing so. So continue to stay tuned over at How'd She Do That podcast on Instagram. We're going to continue to work on how to share previous episodes, upcoming episodes. I just want you guys to be kept in the loop as much as possible. So do be sure that you're following us there. And if you have not yet subscribed to How'd She Do That on iTunes, that's another way to stay in touch with us and to know what's coming up. Because wow, the lineup that we've had this fall, the lineup coming up this winter, and then when we kick off season two next year in 2022. Um, It's just the beginning. We've been up and running for a year, but really when I look ahead, I realize, okay, this is just the beginning. So thank you guys. Thank you for being a part of it all. If you haven't listened to last week's episode with fine artist Caroline Boykin, I highly suggest doing so. But first, catch up with Joy. Here is one of my favorite episodes, I have to say. Get ready to laugh. Get ready to smile. Here is Joy Egrets reed on How'd She Do That? Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of How'd She Do That? Today's guest, Joy Egrets reed is the founder of Punchline Agency, a speaking and literary agency representing speakers and authors, covering topics of business, leadership, faith, women's issues, and more. Joy has also been a speaker herself over the last decade. In the early years of her career, Joy worked as a conference director for her parents' Love and Respect Marriage Conferences. She then created the Love and Respect Now website, as well as a small group study of resources for her generation on the topic of singleness, dating, and marriage. 
Over the course of the last decade of creating content and speaking, Joy has discovered a love of learning through interviewing. Joy loves helping others communicate on camera and be themselves on stage. Most recently, Joy's book, Publishing Punchline, was released in June of 2021. When Joy isn't interviewing speakers, writing books, or encouraging women like myself, she is likely picking up a croissant with her daughter, Millie, playing with her son, Emerson, or relaxing with her husband, Matt. This darling bunch have called Paris, France home since 2017. Joy, welcome to How'd She Do That? Thank you for having me, Emily. Well, I am so excited that you're here. And I I told you before recording, this has been a long time coming. I love seeing your (laughs) day-to-day life in Paris and the joy and laughter that you guys bring to us. It's so fun to welcome you onto the podcast. So thank you again for joining me. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm excited. I love what you're doing. And I, you know, we were talking about kind of who listens to your podcast. And I feel like you really are meeting a need because especially post-pandemic, so many people are like... I got to do something different. (laughs) How do I get this started? So you have such a treasure trove of resources for people. Oh, thank you. Well, so excited to be adding you to that group today. Um, And I'm excited because I know a little bit about your story and a little bit about your background, but I'm excited to hear it from you. So perhaps I, I love to get started. Let's just go back. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your upbringing, perhaps where you're from, and then we can dive into where you went to school as well. Yeah, well, I was born on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Um, No, but actually, you know, you and I compared notes that we're both uh, pastor's kids. And I grew up in in East Lansing, Michigan. Uh, My father was a pastor of a church called uh, Trinity Church. And um, I had two older brothers. So the irony was that they didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl when I was born. And, um, And I was born on a Sunday morning. So after I was born, my dad made like went back to the last service and that was when you know pastors still wore suits and put on a suit and tie and like came in front of the audience and like held up a blue sign and a pink sign and like you know people guessing and everybody wanted a girl and then he like held up the pink and everyone erupted into you know (laughs) excitement so I was welcomed welcomed into the world on a Sunday morning um and grew up in the church loved the church I had a good experience as a as a kid I know not everyone does and thought I owned the church. Uh, we always joke about that. We lived in the parsonage, so it was right next to the church. And so I would go to every single activity, um, that I could. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I always tell there was like this back passageway, um, in the church. I mean, it wasn't even anything, anything cool whatsoever. It like went from one floor to the next, but it was just like this hallway that was never like, you know, lights weren't on and it was used as storage. So it kind (laughs) of seemed scary. And every Sunday I would like pick a kid and be like, do you want to see the secret passageway? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was my childhood growing up in Michigan. I was, I tried all the different things. I tried Christian school for a little bit. Didn't love that. My parents homeschooled me for a little bit. Um, I did like that, but then they felt like it would be best for me to go back to school. So I went to public school for middle school and high school. Absolutely loved that. Mm. Um, And then went to a small private college um, in Santa Barbara, California, not far from where you live, um, called Westmont College. So I was a communication studies major there. And that was really, my dad and I have a similar experience in that we didn't really feel 
at home in academia. Like, you know, mm. it always felt like everybody was smarter than us um, until we sat in our first communication class in college mm. for both of us, like had the exact same experience. And we're like, oh, wow, like this is our thing. Yeah. Um, and so at Westmont, the focus for communication studies is not like, you know, TV and media. It's more of interpersonal dynamics, rhetoric, things like that. And I just really loved it. I mean, I still wasn't the smartest kid in the class by any <laughs> means, ask my professors. Um, but I just loved the art of communication and, you know, having grown up in a setting, in a church setting where people were speaking from stage, I feel like I really grew to admire um, that skill. And, um, and so then fast forward, uh, my dad wrote a book, um, called love and respect and, um, it ended up doing quite well. Mm -hmm. Um, so this was after he transitioned the church actually that he had been a pastor at for almost 20 years really got behind him as he was like, I think I'm supposed to write this book on marriage and my wife and I really want to, you know, help couples. And so they, he kind of, during that time, the church supported him and then kind of sent him off to do this, this ministry, my parents together. And so that was right around the time I was graduating from college. Um, and I had moved down to LA, Redondo beach. Um, where in LA are you? I'm just inland of Malibu. So we're in Agora Hills. Oh yes. Okay. Pepperdine area. Yeah. Um, and so I was Southern LA down in Redondo and I had been accepted to go to FIDM, which is the fashion Institute. I thought that I (laughs) went from communications (laughs) to thinking I wanted to be, I literally, you know, I know a lot of your listeners are trying to like figure out what's next. Um, it potentially, you know, just graduating from college or, or getting a grad level degree, but I was, it was truly like such a weird, random turn of events because I had, I thought that I was going to do stuff with, um, uh, conflict resolution. Like one of my most transformative classes was on, uh, reconciliation and conflict resolution. I did a semester abroad in South Africa to kind of study the apartheid and things like that. And I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. And then one night in college, like I went to babysit for someone and it was the only time I ever babysat for them. The dad, I think, was practicing to be like a motivational speaker or something. And he was waiting for his wife to like get ready to go out. He's like, so what do you want to do with your life, Joy? And I'm like, well, I think I'm going to do reconciliation stuff. And he's like, but what really gets you excited? I don't feel like you're really excited about that. And I was like, I mean, I really love fashion. (laughs) And he just like totally, I mean, it really is interesting how the power of someone really like pumping you up, like, you know, can make you do something. And I don't think... I mean, it's all part of my journey. I definitely didn't go into fashion. I don't know if you've looked at my style lately. Like that's not my, that's not my MO, but, um, I probably should have taken some more time to like really think through, is this what I want to do? But I just, I'm someone who just takes action. So I Hmm. looked into it. I applied, I got accepted to fit him. I moved down to LA. Um, and then my mom got, is this the te- level of detail you're wanting? Cause I, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm loving okay. every second I'm tracking with you. Oh, go for it. <laughs> like she wants to know my life story. Okay. But seriously, <laughs> cut me off. I will try to make this a sink. It no, is just, I do. I love hearing people's stories of how they yeah. got to where they are because it is usually so random and yes. there are some really hard left turns and when you're in a season of like, wait, why did I go to fashion school? Why did I do this? It's like, it's not the end of your story. It may just be a stepping stone. Yes. Um, so I um, got accepted and then I was about to start and my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer wow. and she's, she's fine now. She had a double mastectomy that was 
15 years ago and she's been cancer free since, but, um, we didn't know that. And I went back to Michigan to take care of her through the, the, the surgery and the healing process. So I postponed my enrollment to the next semester. And, um, and so when I was at home, I was like, well, I need to kind of keep traction going. And I kept calling people for informational interviews, anybody that I knew in the Um, fashion industry. I'm like, do you know, you know, and so I was getting informed about what this industry looked like and actually lined up two really cool uh, opportunities to work um, during LA fashion week, which subsequently is no longer like there's the New York fashion week and then there's LA fashion week. And they tried it for, I don't know how many years, but it was like New York was just the thing. LA didn't take off. But when it was, I, you know, like it was hosted at Smashbox. It was like this big deal. And I had two people that let me, like one guy was like a, a designer that was a friend of a friend. He let me help style his show, which was, that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to design. I wanted to be a stylist. Oh my God. Um, so I had the opportunity to do that. And then I even like, do you remember Omarosa from yes. the, yes. <laughs> she was, for some reason she was, she, you know, she was at the height of whatever at that time. And she was one of the models. I remember being like in a hotel room with Omarosa, like telling her what to wear. And like, um, and then another uh, person that um, was a buyer, she let me see that side of, of fashion week and, you know, people coming in front of you and you choosing what you're going to put into, you know, the stores. So, but what was, I felt like for me as someone of faith, like was truly God's grace to me was that I got an inside look at what the fashion industry was really like. And I was like, yeah. Oh man, I, this is not, I do not want to be a part of this. It just, yeah. I think it is for some people, but for me, I was like, this isn't my jam. Yeah. So I'm so thankful. Cause then I just fully never went to fit them. And then simultaneously, that's when my dad's book came out and it was doing really well. And my parents went from like speaking to groups of like 20 and 30 to thousands. And they were like, "Uh, we need help. (laughs) And I was like, well, I'd be happy to tell you what to do. Um, So I kind of I created this manual of like uh, how to host a conference for for people who are hosting the events. Uh, like what to do from, you know, a year out all the way through the, you know, minute by minute of the event. I like, I like organizing things in that way. And, um, and I know my parents so well. So it was really, it was really awesome to do that. All I'd say, then I went, I almost got married myself, went through a really bad breakup. And during that time working for a marriage, you know, ministry, which is what my parents were doing. And feeling very broken in my own heartache. I was like, like, what am I doing with my life? (laughs) And I felt like at that time, then people, it just, when I was so broken and lost um, and depressed, frankly, um, my dad really encouraged me. He's like, you know, when you're this low, he's like, I would encourage you to try to find a place where you can serve. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. when we're just so broken, we can't even get out of bed. Like just opening ourselves to serving someone else. Mm. Um, and he was like, I'm not saying you have to do it right now. Like 10, you know, you have to heal as well, but just like be open to that. And I was like, I don't know what that looks like. Um, but Pete, my peers started coming to me, like people who would find out what my parents did. And I just found out more and more people were asking me about relationship advice, which I just found <laughs> ironic. Um, and so, and I know you mentioned that when you read my bio, it led to me going, Hey, I see at my parents' conferences that I'm directing so many people saying, I wish we would have known this 20 years ago. Why didn't anybody tell us this? And I was like, maybe wow. in my own brokenness, even though I don't have relationships figured out right now, I can at least relay the information that so I know because of working with my parents um, to my generation so they can not have to say, why didn't anybody teach us this 20 years ago? 
So wow. that led to me going from their conference director to actually being kind of, I created like this subset of their ministry for next generation people. And I just let people ask me questions and then I'd work with my dad to come up with answers. I started um, blogging and, you know, doing video blogs and created, I did almost like over 500 posts over the course of from 2009 to 2015, I think, or six, I lost track. Um, but that led me to being asked to speak and write. And so I got a book deal, which I talk about in, in my book, Get to the Publishing Punchline. I got a book deal. My dad told me I could be my own agent. He's like, you have the personality for that, whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I really learned the ins and outs of publishing industry from working with my dad from doing my own book deal um which i also share in my book i ended up writing the entire book and for several reasons which are crazy i ended up <laughs> sending the advance back and i didn't publish it like it's on my computer <laughs> never got published you can find it even listed some places on the internet because it had a sl it was slated to come out in 2013 oh my God. um but I don't, I think the process of writing that was more for me and for my healing process at the time and for learning how to be an agent. Yeah. Um, and then I was developing relationships with people in the speaking world because I was speaking. And for me, it felt like it finally came to a point where I was like, I think I've said everything I can say on this topic. And I feel like I don't want to just drive something into the ground because it's going well. Like I've created content online that my parents can use. I want to put a bow on this after, I mean, I've been working for them in total for, um, you know, ten, about 10 years. Wow. Yeah. So it felt like it had kind of run its course and I was ready to do something new. And then here's the, here we go. <laughs> like that led to people going, Hey, would you represent me? Um, and I was like, I don't know. I'd have to start a whole speaking agency. And, um, and then I did my, my husband and I were, when he got a job in Paris, um, you know, his boss was very concerned about what I would be doing because they, you know, had expat events or people before. And then if the spouse didn't feel like they fit into the culture, didn't have anything to do, oh. it ended up being a bust and they'd invested all this money to bring somebody over. And so I was like, well, I was in that time of transition after working for my parents. And I was like, well, maybe I'll just, this is what people are asking me to do. Maybe I'll do it. <laughs> um, so that's now, that was 2017. I don't recommend launching a business the same month you move internationally to a country where you don't speak the same language, but I did it and I've learned a lot and it's been a, it's evolved a ton hmm. since it launched and it's continuing to evolve. It's still, you know, less than five years old. And, um, but I, I don't know if I can tell you exactly how I did it, but that's a bit of my story. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for sharing so much of the inside scoop as to how you've been able to to step into all these different things. I think it's so cool because like I mentioned earlier on, I know a bit of your story and you guys, those of you who are listening, you may be just now being introduced to Joy um, or you may know a lot of those pieces of her story, but I think it's funny too, you know, with social media and your, your ability and speaking engagements and, and your business and whatnot, um, you know, people find you and they know what you did this morning, you know, with Millie, with a croissant or whatnot, but to be able to hear, no, no, no. Here's the years of life and, and the different entities that led you into 
really being an expert in the area you're in. You know, this wasn't an overnight thing, but to your point, for this to have started in 2017 and for you to now be doing all that you're doing and have the amazing list of speakers and then, of course, your awesome book that just came out, it's so fun to put the puzzle pieces together a little bit and to understand more, okay, this is how Joy has done X, Y, Z. But I do want to backtrack because you're you're stepping into this role. And I love too that it was something that people were asking of you. And I think that's so interesting that you were able to recognize like, okay, a lot of people keep asking me to help them with speaking. What were those early conversations like? And where did the confidence come from for you to think I can do this? Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to know from you if you've what kind of themes you've heard from the people you've interviewed. But I, I in my book, uh, I do the book I published. Get to the yeah. publishing punchline, not the other one, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is called Permanent Vertigo. I loved that title. So good. I, yeah, I um, had a big roller coaster on the front because the opening story is about a friend who I forced to go on a roller coaster and he didn't want to go, and the oh. rattling of the roller coaster gave him vertigo that he yeah. has. Forever, like he yeah. still has vertigo episodes. I feel so bad. I feel so bad, oh. Todd. If you're listening, I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh. Uh, oh my gosh. But I do. I often tell uh, my father, "Thank you." Like I think mm. it's, and I've talked to other women who it's like they had a parent, and oftentimes with women, it's it is a dad um, or a strong like male figure because we just we've grown up in a culture where men it's hopefully changing, but like men have been oftentimes in the positions of authority. And so to have men that really believe in you does hold weight sometimes more than another woman or a peer telling you. And so I feel like, you know, my dad was like, Hey, I think you could be your own agent. You could do it. I know you could. It's like, okay. Or if he's like, Hey, I think you could speak like, okay. Um, so that really held a lot of, weight and power for me. Um, and I think I also just am kind of like, well, what's the worst that can happen? You know? Um, I think it's more after I get myself into things that I start to be like, wait, what are people going to think about this? You know? Mm. Um, you know, even writing this book, it was like, wow, there's other agents that have many more years of experience. Are they going to think that I'm, silly for having written this or have mm. silly for having written it in a way that I think people should have fun with, you know, like there's a lot yeah. of humor in my book. Cause I feel like so many writers, it's just so daunting that I'm like, yeah. I want this to be fun. And you know, so there's like silly images and things like yeah. that. And so then I'm like, will people take me seriously? Um, but from the get go, when I first had the idea of like, Hey, this is the content I'm using with authors. I should put this into a book, like no hesitation. So I'm kind of someone that's just like, let's just throw something at the wall. Let's go for it. And then I, then later is when the, you know, the little voices start to, to creep in. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm feeling, and I know listener, you are too. I'm feeling such a connection to you, Joy, because there's so many pieces of your story that, that literally go hand in hand with, with my thinking. Um, and I just want to put it out there. I would totally be the friend that forces another friend onto the roller coaster and they get vertigo. We should be careful if we ever hang out then. I I literally wrote down in my notes over here, never more relatable. (laughs) 
about the roller coaster. <laughs> well, oh, you on God. your episode where you like tell people thirty things, um, oh, gotcha. and you tell them to. I was I was with you for all of them until you so, were like skydive, and I was like, girl, <laughs> girl, and I feel like you'd push me out of the plane. You'd push me out of the plane. You'd You're my you friend did. that's going to get vertigo when we go skydiving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but but I love everything you just shared, and even the element totally relate to that. Uh, just an amazing father figure who's like puts that confidence in you and just says you can go for it you can do this um yeah. and i feel so grateful that that's that's a part of my story as well that that the confidence really comes from heck yeah i can do this and and i think too um a takeaway that i have and, and listener i know you're enjoying this as well um i love like you said just throw it up on the wall and, and see what happens i know that's yeah. not everyone's way of doing things. But at some point, you really do have to let go even even in podcasting, even in speaking. If I went back and listened to every episode and was uber critical of myself, I would never put anything out there. And I I know you can say the same for writing. If you're looking at publishing punchline, and you reread it, and you just get to a point of beyond critical thinking, it's not going to get out there. So there's always, well, not always actually, but, but in some, when I'm lucky, some episodes, there's kind of a homework moment and and listener, I just want to share with you. If you're like, yeah, I'm that critical person and I can't get anything out because I just, I just stew over it. Let it go. Take some of Joy's energy and her excitement around getting a project out there and just, whoo, when it's good, it's good. Go for it and, and see what happens. And so that's kind of what you did with Punchline. Tell us about these first few speakers that you had and, and maybe tell us a little bit about what the behind the scenes on these projects looked like and, and what you were doing day to day as you moved to Paris and started the business. Yeah, well, you know, back to what you were just saying about kind of like throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. In my book, I, I do... I. I have those illustrations and there's one that's kind of morbid, which is with me in a coffin. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and it's like, because that's kind of my approach of like, and I encourage the reader. I'm like, look, is there a world in which you're going to be on your deathbed and regret having tried to put this book into the world or yeah. try getting what's in your head onto the page in a succinct and clear way that will make sense to somebody else? Maybe not everyone reading New York times bestselling list, but maybe just to your kids that you're leaving a legacy piece for, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so I think that's, that's another part of the answer of how I kind of push myself to do things is just kind of like it. Life is short and you know, like why not? <laughs> there, yes. Well, if, if you can see a way in which you might really regret doing this, then maybe that's something that should cause you pause. Yeah. But if it's just fear that's holding you back or wanting to work out every single possible kink and obstacle that could come your way, then yes, you will be paralyzed and it will, it'll get in your way. Yeah. trying. So, um, but yeah, to your other question of how did punchline kind of look when it first started, we started as punchline speakers. So yep. it was just a speaking agency to begin. I was, um, my father's literary agent at the time. And so it was doing that kind of behind the scenes. It wasn't part of what our offerings were. Um, and I probably, I think I started with like 20 speakers and it really wow. was all just people that I, um, was friends with that I knew from the speaking world or believed in and thought people should know. And, 
Um, and yeah, I overpromised. I my mo is to underpromise, overdeliver. Mm. Um, but I definitely it was a scenario in which and and you always know when you've done, or at least for me because I have a high level of like responsibility yeah. feeling. Um, I was like, I had offered like, okay, you know, we can book your flights and we can do all this and like, mm. I will pay for it. And I will, you know, all these things and like doing everything up front. And all of a sudden I was like, I physically can't do this. And I've yeah. just moved to a country that like we, at first my husband and I only thought we were going to be here for a year or two. And I'm like, I'm oh. missing out on Paris because I'm in my apartment working all day. No. What have I done? <laughs> So actually six months in, I tried to sell it (laughs) and I had a few different people that were in or organizations that were interested in it. And I had a business mentor at the time who was like, Hey, you've created a really good like brand. I wouldn't throw it out just because you're feeling overwhelmed in this moment, which was really good advice. Um, because what I decided to do, and he said, just tell them what you can do. And if, you know, at that time I wasn't even signing contracts with people like, Hey, if you like working together, great. If not, you know? Yes. And so I just went to everybody and I said, I'm sorry, I can't do everything I said I was going to be able to do like this trap, the travel piece can't do it. Here's my alternative. You know, I, I have my business mentor now, which is different than that one. Um, she said, she gave this illustration of, she goes, don't bring me, she goes, I think you're the type of personality that will resonate with this. She said, don't bring me a monkey without a banana. And that is like, <laughs> don't bring a problem without a solution. Oh, and wow. so I didn't just tell the speakers I was working with, like, hey, sorry, I can't do your travel anymore. I was like, hey, what we're going to do now, if this works for you, and if it doesn't, I, it's fine. You can not be on punchlinespeaker.com, speakers.com. Um, but all I can do right now is I can negotiate and it actually has worked out so much better. I negotiate a flat rate travel and lodging, um, for our speakers based on, you know, either just something we have set in stone for them that we know is going to cover everything or based on the fact that like, Hey, they're flying, you know, cross country or they're just driving three hours. Um, And negotiate that with the engagement and then let the speaker actually do all their travel arrangements, which everybody actually likes better because they're not having to reimburse receipt, send receipts to reimburse. They are getting the credit card miles and points if that's something that they do. They know they want a middle seat or an aisle seat or whatever it is, and they have enough in their budget to cover that plus a bit we budget a little bit more to compensate them for their administrative time of having to do that. So whether they do it or their admin does it, it's just like and then they get reimbursed right at the event for um, speaking and travel. And so out of my, like, I can't do this actually created something that I didn't have anybody say they didn't want to work with me anymore. And it's actually worked out better. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, and I love that. I've never heard that example. I've had like lots of fun examples with, with guests and whatnot, but I love that. Don't bring me a monkey without a banana, but it's very relatable because I actually, I I totally understand and get that. I I know that in different seasons of my career where maybe I didn't feel like I had support or I just didn't have the confidence. I was young. Um, yeah, it's like, I'm going to send off an email and be like, can't do this for you. Bye. Hide. I'm going to hide now. Like, you know, and just like, and that's all. And hopefully you're not mad. So I, and of course, (laughs) well, hopefully uh, knock on wood, I'm not doing that currently in my life, but, but I think in the past, even, even being younger, that's totally something I've fallen into. So I love just, again, that idea of like, okay, come with the solution. And like you said, I love that you have the example of yeah, nobody didn't want to work with me anymore. 
you know, yeah. they all came back and said, cool, Joy, we get it. That sounds great. Um, yeah. And that's so interesting to me. Now tell me this, is, is this a situation where you're set up with um, speakers and there's some kind of retainer or are you getting a cut of their speaking engagements? What does that behind the scenes kind of business element look like? Yeah. So we take a percentage of everything that we negotiate awesome. and it's typically, and most speaking agencies are the same. It's typically around 20%. Sometimes we'll take a little bit less. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also average uh, at getting speakers up. Right. Like 33% wow. more than what they were getting when they were doing it themselves or just however it looks like we, there's just a level of like professionalism that when you're listed on on an agency site and we can just go look and and we can do the, the communicating on behalf of the speaker of just going like stuff that you don't want to have to say, like, Hey, actually my time is valuable. Like I have kids at home or this is a travel day that I have to leave the office or whatever. Like we love to do that. We love to, and a lot of people aren't ill. Well, it's not like there's businesses out there or churches or whoever's booking our speakers being like, Hey, I just really want to screw this person over. It's one of the, they just don't know. Um, you know, sometimes they're like, wouldn't they be excited to be invited to this thing? Um, and there are, there are some events that are, um, you know, good for a speaker's platform or getting seen. And so we negotiate from that standpoint, but for the most part, it's like, Hey, let us be the hype people for our speakers Mm. and tell you why they're valuable to their time and for their time. So for a speaker, even though we're taking our agency fee, um, it typically, it's taking the, all the admin work off the plate of our speakers. Wow. And what we're on average increasing the budget for, um, it is, it's more than our fee to begin with. So yeah. it's a win-win. Oh, absolutely. And it's so cool to hear, you know, and many of us, we, we might know a little bit of an inside scoop with this. And, and so to be able to hear the, the, like I've been saying behind the scenes is super cool. Now tell me this, because you mentioned at first it was just speakers, speakers Mm -hmm. only. That was your bread and butter with your background in communication, being a speaker yourself. What did it look like to step into the publishing side of things? Yeah, well, I had kind of been around publishing longer than even, you know, obviously I I saw my dad speaking growing up, you know, at the church, but in terms of like public speaking and and that as a business where an event will bring you in and pay you, um, that was newer to me than than the publishing world. Um, Just because I'd been around that with my dad, I dated an author, like I just kind of knew that world. And so I was doing that um, for my dad behind the scenes. So what I say, like our tagline for punchline now it's punchlineagency.com instead of punchlinespeakers.com is that we represent people who are good on the page and stage. Uh Um, because I realized that, you know, there's whenever I'm doing, you know, if someone wants to do a consultation with me, one of the first questions that I ask them, because it's typically someone that wants to talk about writing or speaking, um, I say, are you someone, if they say they do both, I say, would you define yourself as a writer who's now being asked to speak or a speaker who subsequently needs to write? Mm. Um, Because they're they're very different communication forms. And oftentimes people feel a real strong connection to one or the other. It just takes a little bit more working out the muscles of the other communication form and what lands on stage might not land on the page. Um, but I'm really drawn to people who are working and are, are on route to be kind of good in both spaces. And it's just, it's where we're at today. Like, especially in nonfiction, like 
if you have a successful book, you're going to be asked to speak. And if you've been being asked to speak, you're probably going to get a book deal. So they just kind of go hand in hand. And with my love of, of public speaking, it just kind of felt like a natural fit to work with, um, you know, authors or speakers who, you know, have books in them. I don't represent as authors, I don't represent all my speakers. And even there's times where I've had speakers want me to represent them. And because of the nature of I have two little kids and whatever, I can only take on so much. I've been like, Hey, here's another agent I really like. Or if they're a really, really good friend, (laughs) sometimes I'm like, I want our friend. I think this will be better if you go with somebody else. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I, I don't represent all of our speakers, but that is kind of our MO is, is that we represent people that are typically good at both. Oh, I love it. And page to stage and it, what, yeah, all the little elements that you, you guys just pause and rewind and, and hear all that out. Cause I love even just the, the simplicity of, of helping folks recognize this is going to be a good fit. And you guys have an amazing list and I'm sure you are maxed out. You have such an incredible group that you're running with and it's, it's super cool to see. Well, it's really been interesting to hear quite a few highlight points uh, of your career and all that you've done. I would be curious to know though, are there any instances or perhaps an instance um, that you could think of where failure actually helped shape your career? Uh, well, the the story I said about kind of in the beginning when I felt overwhelmed and like I was missing out on Paris, yes. um, I felt like I was failing. I felt like, man, I launched this thing. I got so many people excited about it and now I'm going to like close it down or I'm going to sell it off or whatever, <laughs> um, you know, and who can really sell a company you know, that's only six months old. Um, and yeah, I just felt like, man, I, I really like, I felt like I had failed for sure. Mm. Um, you know, back to also the, you know, working for a marriage ministry and, and thinking I was going to get married yeah, and then not, Yeah, (laughs) that was definitely a huge point of feeling like I had failed. Um, you know, there was a lot of people around us that thought we were a perfect match, um, Mm. couldn't see what was going on behind closed doors and it was not a good relationship at all. Mm -hmm. And thankfully I got out of it, but it was kind of like, you could see the, what are people going to think? And and they don't know what actually happened. They don't know why I left. I actually ended up, I literally left the country for a few months. I went to a place called Labrie in Switzerland. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's kind of a place for like young people who are trying to figure out big questions about life. And you go, it's like a commune kind of, you live in a chalet (laughs) on the side of an Alp and you like work half the day to earn your keep. And then you study half the day to kind of just like figure, you know, whether it's questions about theology and God or just whatever. Um, and you're with other people who are asking really hard questions. And so I, I went there and that's where I felt like, man, I, I just, I literally didn't know what to do with my life. And that's the place where, when I said my dad encouraged me to serve, it was there Mm. actually broke my ankle, um, on the side of an Alp trying to sled, stand up on a sled like an idiot. (laughs) And so then I was confined to bed. So here I was broken hearted, broken ankle. Um, just feeling very, very depressed. Um, yeah. and people came naturally to take care see if I was okay, you know, cause they had to bring me food and, oh. <laughs> and that's when these conversations would happen and people would ask me like, Oh, your parents wrote a book on relationships. Oh, and start asking me stuff. And I'm like, 
okay, like, I guess I do know, even though I feel broken, I guess I do know some stuff from the wisdom that's been passed on to me. Um, so that was really, I, I feel like that those are two things that come to mind around failure. I think currently I'm feeling, um, you know, punchline, I am trying to grow. There's only so much I can do. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out what does it mean? What does success actually mean? Wow. Um, again, that whole question I always come back to, like, I'm going to die someday. And do I want, do I want, what do I want my, my life to have looked like? And does success mean that I have a hundred speakers, a hundred authors, like, yeah. or does it mean that I stewarded what I was given well and just did as much as I physically can do myself or do I grow a team to support me? And I'm yeah. trying to grow a team right now. And there's five of us in total. And it's, I, I don't think I'm a great manager. <laughs> and I feel like it's this muscle that when you've worked independently for so long, or you've wow. been in a position where you're telling your parents what to do or, or whatever, you're just very independent yeah. um, or just had people, you know, one or two people around you. Um, some days I feel like I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I'm good at, like, am I feeling at this? Should I just do what I can do? Or is this idea of growing a team something I should really pursue? So that's mm. those, I have days currently where I feel like I'm failing in that way. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that insight. It's, it's so special to be able to share that with listeners because we all can feel that way in life. I, 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 I have such just, uh, again, a connection to you in, in that element of, yeah, to, how do we grow? What does this look like? What is my version of success and something my husband and I think about and talk about quite a bit? It's it's kind of a never-ending question, I think, because so mm -hmm. many of us would look at others and say, "Well, well, you've got it, you've got it." And you guys, it's that's never really the case. It's it's an evolving question. Even the most what you would deem the most successful person in your life, they're still feeling that way and they're still thinking that. So it's yeah. going to be really fun, though, Joy, to to figure out you know which which way you do go. And 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 I know that regardless, you will have uh, much success to come, which is really fun to, to think about. Um, on the, uh, of course, uh, I believe that. Um, on the flip side of that, I'd love to know what has been a real wow moment for you in your career? The most recent thing that comes to mind is, you know, as I've been asking that question that I just proposed to you of like, what is enough? And, and how does this look? And um, how hard am I supposed to push, you know, wow, versus yeah. just letting, you know, like we talked about in the beginning, I had people come and say, Hey, I believe you could do this for me. Um, and then, you know, part of me, I'm like, I'm supposed to market more. Am I supposed to try, you know, am I supposed to pursue authors more or am yeah. I just supposed to like be open-handed and trust the right things will, you know, happen at the right time. And, um, and so it was interesting because we took, we're, European now and so we took three <laughs> weeks off in August uh, and that's a that's a that's not a typical thing in an American work culture for the you know the founder of a startup um to do and right. I did not check my email for three weeks and I've done this a lot like I've, I just find ways to do it and um so it's been a part of my rhythms like I, I kind of I say sometimes like people, you know, all the books that are being written in the U S about like rest and like how mm. we need to just like turn off and we need to do these, have these better rhythms and things like that. I'm yeah. like, those books aren't being written in France because people just, it's not like a, like to take vacation. You're not going to hear from anybody going, Oh, must be nice. You can do that. They're like, no, wow. you, you must, 
you must do that for your yeah. health and for, you know, the well-being of life, you know, yeah. and, um, you know, no, there's not the same entrepreneurial spirit in France, uh, that there is in the U S I would say, yeah. but like, there's also a really great rhythm, you know, every time before you go on vacation, like people, you, when you're about to go on vacation, you're like, I got to knock out all those emails. I got to finish that project. So the fact that French people like have several vacations throughout the year, like they are doing these sprints where they work really hard before they go on vacation. And I'm like, America, can we please follow suit with this? <laughs> <laughs> um, so all that to say, I, I didn't even realize like right before going on vacation, I had three significant people like, um, contact me that are in the either well they're in the publishing world well one is a very successful author the other one is an editor at a publishing house the other is an author and editor at a publishing house and all three of them contacted me and were like hey i have a pretty significant person that i feel like i want you to represent whether it's the publisher going we want this book like it's it's gonna happen or like, hey, I really think that you line up with this topic and you're the person that I would want to represent. And I was like, oh, like that meant, so that was a success because it just was really encouraging to me. Yes. Um, like, okay. You know, when I had that fear of like, should I have put out my book, get to the publishing punchline? Like, do I have enough experience under my belt? You know, <laughs> that then these people that I really respect in the industry were coming to me and saying, I want you or the fit for this. Um, there was that. And then also I was just like, Thank you so much. Like, um, if it works for them, I'll be back in September. Here's the link to my calendar for them to set up a meeting. Wow. I totally understand if that doesn't work with their your time constraints. I didn't even I just didn't even think of that. And then my husband and I were talking about something or other, and I mentioned these partway through our vacation. I mentioned these three um, contacts that had said like, "Hey, we have books you want to represent." And I said, "You know, so I'll be talking with them in September." And he was like. I am really like, that is huge. Like you really do practice what you preach about just like, like, you know, at the end of our life, like (laughs) I want to have taken vacation with my family. Like I work really hard when I work really hard and I, I hold what I do loosely enough that I'm like, Hey, if they find another agent in the next three weeks, then that's fine. Um, and I, I just don't think I had actually, applauded myself or like patted myself <laughs> on the back of like, Hey, that's actually, that's not typical. You know, most mm. eight agent type people are like, okay, we'll get on the phone right now. I got to land this deal. And it's just yes. like, um, so I think that's something where, as I look at my career path behind me and where I'm headed, that's a value that I'm actually like, I, I hope I always hold on to this. And as we talk about moving back to the U S I would say that's actually something I'm a little mm. nervous about because I do love to work and I do love to work hard. Um, and I feel like here in France, I'm around a culture of people that like applaud, like take time for yourself or go on vacation. Let's talk about that. I'm not going to be like, Oh, that's so great that you get to do that. You know, right. Americans just like shame each other for taking time off. And then we're all having to read self-help books yeah. about how to rest because we all have anxiety. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on here, people? <laughs> oh my gosh. But such an amazing lesson for you to share with us. And one that I can take away too. I, I, I could not agree more. Early on in the podcast, I I think I was doing like three episodes a week, recording, recording, recording. And by the third episode, I would just be like, okay, the guest was great, but I, and the episodes turn out amazing, but was I really emotionally and like fully connected and present? And and so I agree with you, just whatever it is, whatever entity you guys are, are stepping into your business, whatnot. Yeah. If you're on vacation, 
let it, 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 it will pan out. The timing always pans out for these things as strange as it might sound, or as, as, as much as you might not believe it, it really does. And just those tips mm-hmm. on rest and honestly, yes, I wish you the best of luck. If, if, and when you're returning to America, you know, what? bring some of that with you. We'll take it. Okay. Bring that with you <laughs> and, and we'll take it from you as well. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I could, literally talk to you forever, Joy. Uh, This has been (laughs) such a treat for me. Um, But I'd love to know what's next for you. And I know you always have something fun coming up. So tell us what's what's next for you. You know, as I I just got back from vacation, and I'm what's next is digging through my inbox. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But really, I'm I'm trying to get better at management. So Mm. and building a team. So I I'm having my business coach. I always feel like we need to be poured into so that we can pour out. So my business coach is actually going to um, do kind of like a, <laughs> you know, we can't do trust falls over zoom, but you know, something <laughs> with my team to, to help teach me and to help us kind of build that camaraderie better. So I'm cool. That's what's next for me is trying to get better at, at growing a team. Um, I'm also excited about, um, with my book, uh, get to the publishing punchline. We, one of the things that I really, um, care deeply about is one of our speakers, Ben Sand, um, is started this organization in Oregon, which is where my husband and I actually met and moved to Paris from, Mm -hmm. um, called is now called the contingent but within that he started all these different initiatives with or partnered with people that are doing amazing things in Oregon and one of them is called every child and it's a it's a support system for uh, DHS offices and kids who are about to go into foster care system and what he's wow. done what his team has done has been phenomenal so much so that both uh, the the Trump and Biden administration have sent people out task force to try to study this model going like we need to roll wow. this out in the rest of the country so they're someone that I really like what they do is they try to I mean, they do tons of stuff, but they try to create spaces within um, DHS offices where a foster kid is coming. Usually they're like really sterile offices and the kids there sitting next to a caseworker calling different foster families. Like, can you take them? No, Mm. you can't. Okay, we'll call the next. You know, to just Mm. be a kid. I just, when I think about a kid sitting there listening to those calls, it's like, ugh. So they create these welcome boxes um, that just have fun, like ownership items for the kids. So they feel like they have things that are theirs. And I was like, I want to do something beyond helping people who want to write a book with get to the publishing punchline. Like what if I could do something for kids? So Mm -hmm. for every copy, um, that somebody buys of get to the publishing punchline, I wrote another book. Uh. (laughs) Um, and it's, it's written. Well, I didn't write it. Bernard the baguette wrote it. (laughs) And it's, um, it's a small book that it's the size of a coloring book. And it takes these kids through three different models of writing. So creative writing, journalism, and how to kind of write your own story memoir. And it's all done through the voice of Bernard the baguette. And so that's we're we're actually people have been really excited about it, because we're like, well, you can't get it. People like, where do we get it? And I'm like, no, if you if you buy a copy of my book, then we give one to a kid in the foster care. But we want that kid, that book. And I'm like, does anybody want my book? <laughs> um, so I, you know, we're, we're thinking about that. Like, do we do we do something with that and actually put it out at some point? But for now, if you want to help a kid in yes. uh, the foster care system, get one of these books. Um, you can do so through purchasing my book. And even if you don't feel like you want to write a book, you know, some everybody, everybody knows somebody who has the idea of a book in their head. So. Absolutely. Um, oh, my that's God. what I'm excited about. And, oh. and about. 
Uh, well, likewise, we're excited too. And you guys, I uh, I had the pleasure of reading Joy's book and it is amazing. I, I would say even if you have the tiniest, tiniest inkling that at some point you may want to write something, okay? Let's get back <laughs> that, that low bar. It's the book for you. It's the book for you. And it's not a low bar book, but but that's the kind of, of thought I have with your book is it, it really is a book for anybody and everybody who's slightly, maybe kind of sort of thought of writing something. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, uh, Joy, is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to? You know, I, I would just say, you know, I know, again, I know your audience is really broadened, but mm-hmm. for um, women out there who are just graduating from college and it feels daunting and you're trying to figure out what's what's next, um, just know that you can go from reconciliation to fashion to <laughs> conference directing to writing your own book and not publishing it and then starting your own company wanting to sell it feeling like you failed and then coming to a place where you feel like hey, I think we got something pretty good so just remember like just go just go after just try things you yeah. know I would say like don't I think something um that can be a blocker for people is um feeling like they don't want to bother someone. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people to make the ask. I do this with people who want to get into public speaking more. I have like a template email that I give to them how to make the ask of their community, people who know them and love them. Yeah. Um, of just like, hey, do you know of any event or do you know of any place that might want to? Here's what I'm speaking on, kind of thing. And when people get so apprehensive of doing that, I'm like, think about it in the other. If you were in the other person's shoes, like yeah. if somebody that that you liked. Um, came to you and said, Hey, do you know of anyone? Or could you help me? You know, you wouldn't be offended by that. Now, if they were emailing you every day, maybe, but if they just (laughs) made an ask and thought of you, even if you couldn't help them, you would be honored. And so I try to, I try to tell people that of like, don't be afraid to make the ask and don't be afraid to just kind of in your head, have a ratio of like, okay, if I ask 10 people, maybe two will have a connection for me. And instead of focusing on the eight, they're like, oh, sorry, I can't, or they just don't respond or whatever it is, shoot for two out of 10. And I really do feel like being bold and act like with the fashion stuff and just like reaching out to anybody and everybody that might have a connection Mm. always bodes well. And I think you even said, I think it was you on your podcast where you said like, you reached out to, you're like, I've never had anyone say no to being on the podcast except for one person. And it was just simply because of scheduling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is that, that yeah. you right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, what's that? Yeah. It was. Yeah. Yeah. It, so it, don't, even if they're older or they're like in a position that you feel like, oh man, they, I don't know if they would. Yeah. I would say do it. Well, <laughs> it, it, I mean, this is seamless. It, it goes right into my, my next thought, but couldn't agree more. And you guys who've been around at HSTT for some time, you know my experience with informational interviews, and now you have heard of Joy's. It's just so much fun to see who you might be able to connect with, which has me wondering, Joy, who do you know that should maybe come on and share their story? <laughs> uh, well, that's great. It actually... It's a perfect person, I think, would be um, my friend and someone who I represent with Punchline, Elizabeth Knox. Um, She is someone I think people should know. But the reason that I additionally, outside of the work that she does, which is um, she was totally in like the rat race. She works in the government, like worked really, really hard all the time. But now she has four kids and um, really kind of has taken an interest into people's like 
work styles. You know, like wow. there's people that are night owls, there's people that are, you know, early birds, all that kind of thing. And she works with organizations to help you maximize your team, whether it's remote or, or wow. in person, but just like realizing people have different um, peak work, you know, wow. opportunities and you can maximize. You don't have to have everybody be in the office from eight to five, Monday through Friday. And there's right. so many people or like stay at home moms or people who have different things that actually have a lot to give and um, just trying to figure all that out. Anyway, so she has a book um, called coming out called in September called work reimagined. Oh. And, but one of the other reasons I feel like she would be great is because as I was just boasting about, Oh, I take vacation and I take rest <laughs> and all this it wasn't like that first year, it was kind of like, how is this ever going to happen? It's just me. Um, and then the second year is when I got pregnant with Millie and someone had just connected Elizabeth and I, she wasn't even a a speaker on our, or an author with me yet. And, um, just said, Hey, you guys are two women that are starting out your own businesses. I think you should just connect. And so we did, and we really liked each other. And we were like, Hey, let's just kind of like be in each other's lives to like kick ideas around since we're office of one. And she goes, Hey, I would really like you to be able to take a maternity leave. And is there any way that I can help like field your inbox or whatever? And she helped me. Um, Basically I put an out of office on and then if there was any emergency, like she would just field stuff. And if there was any emergency, she Marco Polo'd me, um, which is an app that I love and that saved my (laughs) life. Um, And, but otherwise I literally didn't touch my email for three over three months. And so there has been, there's ways now, you know, I have a partner, Holly, who actually runs the speaking agency side of punchline. So I can focus on the literary. And I did, I did a four month maternity leave with Emerson. Um, So it, it's progressed to being able to have support to be able to do this. I'm not just, you know, just turning off my email and going, hope the speaking engagement works out for you guys. (laughs) Like I set things in place, but I have also had incredible people that have, seen and know what it's like to be in a season where you're like, I'd like to take a maternity leave. And Mm -hmm. it is possible um, because there's people that want to help. So it comes back to the asking thing. Uh, And Elizabeth Knox, you should have her. She's great. (laughs) uh, I love it. Well, uh, takeaway, we should all be a little bit more like Elizabeth and you all will have to stay tuned for a potential episode with her. Well, (laughs) Joy, I've been teasing this a little bit and many of you likely already follow Joy and, and maybe you've checked out the website during this conversation and whatnot, but Joy, where can listeners connect with you? Um, well, if they want the heavy Millie and Emerson content, yes, which not, do. Not, not for everybody. <laughs> oh, um, yes, it is. <laughs> that's just my Instagram handle, uh, which is my from before I was married, Joy Egerich, uh, E-G-G-E-R-I-C-H-S. Um, and so that's, that's kind of my handle for Twitter. I'm not really on Twitter, but all the things, social media. But then um, for my organization, Punchline is just punchlineagency.com. Um, and then my book, Get to the Publishing Punchline, you can find by Googling. <laughs> oh, yes. And you guys win. And if you get that book, do let us know. Post a picture, tag, yes, joy, please. you guys. It's amazing to see <laughs> where your book has been all over the world and, and everything. Yeah. So, Joy, thank you so much. This was... Thank you all for listening to today's episode of How'd She Do That? 
I am Emily Landers. You can follow me on Instagram at Emily Landers and the podcast at How'd She Do That Podcast. We hope you'll join us next Tuesday for a new episode. We will talk to you soon.